Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning. My name is Anne, and I'm reading from Matthew 1, 1 through 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amimadab, Amimadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shatil, Shatil fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel fathered Abiad, Abiad fathered Eliakim, Eliakim fathered Azor, Azar fathered Zaduk, Zaduk fathered Akim, Akim fathered Eliad. Eliad fathered Leazar. <coughs> Leazar fathered Mathan. Mathan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Can we give Anne a round of applause? I asked her a week and a half ago to read scripture without telling her what she was going to be reading. And then I expected her to say no, and that's why I got it. we gave myself a week and a half so I could just ask the next person. That, but she just, she said yes, and she was a trooper. So that was amazing. Um, now you can say you've, you've had a genealogy read over you, which not many people can say that. But anyway, thank you, Anne, seriously, for, for reading that. Um, yeah, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew 1. Um, but as you're doing that, <coughs> I'd uh, like to read um, just a little bit of, of a psalm that I was reading this week. And uh, the, the last verse in Psalm 1 says that Yahweh watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for this church is that we would, we would follow the Lord and we would f- walk in the way of righteousness uh, individually and together. So to that end, I want to open us up and continue this posture of worship by uh, praying. So Father, we ask now that <clears throat> uh, what we just sang uh, would be true in our hearts and our minds. 
We ask now that, um, Lord, your spirit, where we, we know that your scripture says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I ask that you would bring freedom, Lord, to all of us in this room. Freedom from sin. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom from the weight of the world. Freedom from anxious thoughts. Freedom from the lies of the enemy. Freedom from slavery to sin, bondage to sin. Lord, we know that where you are, there is freedom. So Lord, I ask that you would be present in our midst. As we uh, look through Matthew, Lord, I pray that your spirit would continue to do the work of inspiration um, from when it was penned to even right now, Lord, that you would inspire our hearts and our minds to look more like Jesus. We pray all these things in your son's name and by the power of the spirit. Amen. We are starting movement one of Matthew. If you remember last week, uh, Matthew will be divided up into five, Matthew is divided up into five movements. Each movement ends with a teaching of Jesus. So movement one ends with the teaching of Jesus, movement two, three, four, five, etc. And uh, I did shy away last, last week from saying how long we were going to be in Matthew because we're going to be in Matthew for two and a half years which is a lot, but the thing is, is that after movement one, we'll take like a month or two break and do a different book of the Bible, then we'll do movement two, et cetera, et cetera. So this is the first movement that we're starting. We'll be in movement one from now until mid-June, mid uh, and then movement two will be, will be this fall. So each movement ends, like I said, with the teaching of Jesus. This one will end with um, the Sermon on the Mount. So to start movement one, to start the first book of the New Testament, Matthew thought it would be a good idea to start with a genealogy. And everybody probably just is like, okay, well, let's skip Matthew 1 through 17. Let's get to the birth story of Jesus and, and go on from there. But today we're not going to do that. We're going to look right at Matthew 1, 1 through 117. We're not going to skip anything. So, and we have a lot to cover today. So we're going to just dive right in. So here we go. Verse one, look at the text of verse one. <clears throat> An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, that's the CSB translation. Some of you guys might have a different translation. It might read something like the record, those first couple words. It might read the record of the genealogy or the book of the genealogy or NIV has this is the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ. Odds are when there's a, a variety of uh, translations in the English, the Greek is a little more complex than like a one-to-one -one correlation. So we're going to look at some Greek today. I don't do this often unless I think it's absolutely essential, and I think it's absolutely essential here. The first two words in the book of Matthew, you actually know. You know this Greek. The first two words in the book of Matthew are right here. The first word is biblos. The second word is genesis. Biblos, genesis. And then it says Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. You know this first word, and you know the second word. The first word is where we get our English word book. Biblos is just the Greek word for our English word book, which is why we have in our hands the Holy Bible, the Holy Book. I know it's not as cool. It's not like, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, Bible just means book? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's about it. But Biblos just means book. So we have the first word in Matthew 1.1 1, 1 is, is book. And then Genesis is the second word. And you also know this because it comes into English as what? Genesis probably sounds like Genesis, right? And that's exactly what it is. So we have Biblos, book, Genesis, which is Genesis. Now, there is another word for genealogy in Greek that Matthew did not use, which means he intentionally chose this word, Genesis, to tell us something. What is he trying to tell us? So if you look at this in like this Greek, the next slide, this Greek-English hybrid, 
we have, this is verse 1 of Matthew, Biblos Genesis, book of Genesis, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the next question is, why does he choose this title, Biblos Genesis, book of Genesis, essentially? Why didn't he just say, this is an actual just genealogy? Like I said, there's another word for genealogy in Greek that he did not use. Well, let's think about this. What is the book of Genesis, the actual book of Genesis in our Bibles? It's the first book of the Bible, right? The book of Genesis is the title in Greek of the Hebrew is the same thing, Biblos Genesis. And what happens in the book of Genesis? God creates, right? He creates good things. He creates a beautiful world. He takes what was chaotic, the, the formless and void, the watery depths, and he creates order out of it. He takes what there was, darkness, and he brings what into it? Light. At the day six, he brings what out of the ground? He brings humans, and he breathes into them the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, right? This is what happens in, in Genesis 1. And it's beautiful because what you have in Genesis 1 is God and his people, his creation, together. He have, you have God's presence, heaven, the heavens, and you have humans' presence, the earth. You have them all at once. This is why we talked about the, the circle diagram a few weeks ago. Heaven and earth in Genesis 1 are together. God is with his people in his place. It is beautiful. It is good. It is all that. So what is Matthew claiming by saying there's a book of Genesis of Jesus? What is he claiming? That Jesus is bringing about a new creation. What was Genesis 1? Creation. What is the book of Genesis of Jesus Christ? Oh, there's a new creation. Jesus is going to look at the darkness and bring light into it. He's going to look at the disorder and the chaos, and he is going to bring order. He is going to breathe into his people, those who are in him, the breath of life, the Holy Spirit. Already in the first two words, if you were a first century Jew and you heard Biblos Genesis, Jesus Christ, Son of David, you're like, whoa, 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 wait. There's a new, a new creation? This is why Paul says, if you are in Christ, behold, you are a what? New creation. The old is gone. The death is gone. The sin is gone. And you are made alive, new, in Christ. Just like in Genesis 1, when God was with his people, now this book is claiming, in the first two words, that Jesus is bringing about a new creation, and his presence is bringing heaven, the presence of God, down into earth. And so that's why he prays, we want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first two words of, of Matthew. How are we doing? Good? Moving on. <clears throat> we have uh, Biblos Genesis, book of Genesis, of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Next, there are three um, titles in verse 1, three titles for Jesus. You have Christ, you have son of David, and you have son of Abraham. Let's look at these three uh, a, a little bit. Christ, just a reminder, I probably say this too much, but when I was a kid, I thought Christ was Jesus' last name. It's not it's not like you walk up and be like, hello, Mr. Christ, how are you doing? It's, it's not how it works. Instead, Christ is a title. It's a title. It's not a name. It's a title. And uh, it, another word for it is Messiah. Messiah and Christ are the same uh, thing. And all it means is anointed one or chosen one. All it means is anointed one or chosen one. So all throughout the law, the prophets, the writing, the, the Old Testament, all these authors of the Old Testament were kind of like painting like a like an outline silhouette of this Christ figure, this Messiah figure, this anointed one figure. And if you go and you read, at first you, you hear about it in Genesis 3 when um, 
uh, when uh, Yahweh promises Eve that a descendant will come from her and, and crush the serpent's head, that's the first little start of this portrait, the silhouette of, okay, this is the Christ figure. Then you read some of the Psalms, and we recognize that this Christ figure is going to defeat his enemies. He's going to, uh, 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 all of the nations are going to worship him. He's going to be appointed by God. In Psalm 2, it says, Yahweh has appointed his Messiah, his Christ, in his holy mountain, and all of the nations are going to worship him. We also know from Isaiah that this Messiah figure is actually going to suffer and bear the sins of his people. This Christ figure is going to, to, to crush his enemies, and, and what Matthew is saying here, by putting the first title of Christ, what Matthew is saying is that Jesus of Nazareth is this anointed one, is the, is the one who's going to crush his enemies is the one who's going to bring out a new exodus. This Messiah figure was always talked about. Of the first exodus was Israel was enslaved to Egypt and Moses brought them out. That became like, a, a, like an example of what the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one was going to do. He was going to take his people again and free them from slavery. Now we know from reading the Gospels it was slavery to something much more powerful than an empire, slavery to sin and death. And what Matthew is saying is Jesus is bringing about, not only is he bringing about a new beginning, a new creation, a new book of Genesis, he is also this long-awaited Christ Messiah figure. That's the first title, Christ. Second title, son of David. David, bar none, was the greatest king in all of Israel. If you ask an ancient Jew or a modern Jew, you say, who is the greatest king? David, no questions. David, what did he do? Uh, by, by saying that Jesus is the son of David, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne. Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. Now, God made a promise to David. God made a promise to David, and we're actually going to look at this right here on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Samuel 7, this is what God promised David. I will raise up for you, or sorry, I will raise up after you your descendant, who will, excuse me, come from your body. I will establish his kingdom I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. You see this repetition of forever, forever, forever. Thousands of years before Jesus was on the scene, um, uh, Yahweh said to David, I am going to establish your throne forever. Now Matthew comes in and says, the true son of David the true son of David, is Jesus. Jesus is going to be on the throne forever. Jesus' reign will never end. On top of that, who is the actual literal son of David? Solomon, right? What did Solomon do? He built the temple. What was the temple? The presence of God. Who is Jesus? The presence of God. Bringing about his temple to us, his presence to us. And now that's why Paul says that we are now temples. We are now the presence of God because when we are found in Christ, the son of David, who's the rightful heir to the throne and who is the presence of God, we now have those promises. So not only, and so far, we're only a few words in. Some of you are like, there's still 16 more verses. Don't worry, we like, pff, we're gonna get through the rest by like 3 p.m., is that okay? No, I'm just kidding. Um, not only is Matthew saying in verse one that there is a new beginning, a new creation in Jesus Christ, 
Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one that all of the law, the prophets, and the writings have been pointing to. He's also the son of David who will fulfill this covenant and his reign and his throne will never end. Next it says, son of Abraham. This is the third and final title. Let's go to Abraham's story. Who's Abraham? You don't have to turn there, but on the screen again, it'll be Genesis 12. God made a promise to Abraham. This is before the time of David. Abraham was the, you know, they call him the patriarch of the nation of Israel. He was the first. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Basically, up until this point, sin had been so, God's original plan and intent was for all of humanity to be his people, right? And then sin was just destroying, I mean, Genesis 1 through 11 is a brutal picture. So then finally, the Lord was like, okay, I'm going to choose one family, Abraham's family, and through him, I'm going to bless everybody else. So, you know that old cliche, blessed to be a blessing? Well, it comes from Genesis 12. Abraham was like, the Lord said to Abraham, I'm gonna bless you and choose you so that you can be a blessing to other people. This is what uh, Yahweh says to Abraham. I will make you, this is a old uh, man who has no children, by the way. I will make you into a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And look at this last phrase, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God promises Abraham that his family will be a blessing to all the nations. Sidebar, there's a common misunderstanding in the Old Testament, and this is what the Pharisees did. There was a common misunderstanding that because Abraham and his family was chosen, they were elite, right? They were like, oh, well, we're the sons of Abraham. We're, you know, we're this, tr- we're this people. God loves us more than others. That is the exact opposite of the intention, intention of this promise. That's why Jesus confronted the Pharisees. They said, we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus said, you're sons of the devil. If I want to, I could make sons of Abraham out of these stones. That's what Jesus tells them. Why? Because it's bigger, it's, it's much different and bigger than just like, okay, I'm gonna choose you and now you're my special people. Ha, I love you and everybody else sucks. It's not that at all. It's rather this opposite of like, I am choosing you so that you can, you can bring my blessing to the rest of the world. What is Matthew claiming by Jesus being the son of Abraham? In and through Jesus, God's blessing is now available to anybody who is in him. This is why Paul says we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let's think about this also literally. Who is Abraham's literal son, Isaac? What did Isaac do? He brought wood, climbed up a mountain to be sacrificed by his father. What does Jesus do? carries his own cross made of wood, climbs up a mountain, and is sacrificed by his father for the forgiveness of sins of everybody. Matthew is claiming that not only is Jesus the new beginning, the new creation, the book of Genesis, not only is Jesus the long-awaited Christ Messiah figure, not only is Jesus the rightful heir to the throne, the son of David who's bringing the presence of God and bringing the forever eternal reign of God to his people, he is also the one in and through whom, if you are in Christ, you will receive God's blessing and you will give God's blessing. And on top of that, he entered sin, he, he took sin for us on the cross. This is, this is the, the beautiful, beautiful description that Matthew has in verse one of who Jesus is. This is the book of Genesis of Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. This is a bold claim. Jesus of Nazareth. Who is this guy? We're not even out of verse 1 yet. Now, on to the genealogy. <clears throat> a couple things we're going to say about the genealogy. First, this is not a normal genealogy. Um, there, and there are two reasons for that. The first reason is that there are five women included in this genealogy. The second reason is uh, actually in verse 17, where you probably read all these things about 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, all that stuff. So we're going to highlight these two aspects of the genealogy. There's a lot more there. Trust me, it's been kind of insane how much is in this genealogy. But we're going to just take the rest of our time today, and we're going to highlight these two aspects. Why are there five women in this genealogy? Who are they? What's going on? What's the theological claim? And then what is the deal with this 14-generation thing? Why is this so? It seems like it's important. Why is this so important? So, first, the five women in the genealogy. The fact that there are five women in a genealogy in this day when Matthew was written, the fact that there are any women in a genealogy was absolutely and wildly important. You don't have women, in, in this time, you do not have women in a genealogy. I don't know if you noticed the cadence as Anne was reading of so-and-so fathered so-and-so, so-and-so fathered so-and-so, so-and-so fathered, I mean, there's this fathered, fathered, Abraham fathered Isaac, fathered. It's like a, it sticks out like a sore thumb when you hear so-and-so fathered so-and-so by Ruth. It's like, whoa. It's like when you hear a pattern, two, four, six, eight, you're expecting 10, but then at the last second, somebody goes, nine. That's what's happening. So if you're hearing this or reading this and you hear these five women, you're like, whoa, what on earth is going on? What's even more significant is the women that Matthew could have chosen but did not choose. In Israel, there were four matriarchs of the faith. There were four mothers of Israel is what they call them. And they were the patriarchs' wives, respectively. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the three founders of the nation of Israel. And their wives... Between the three of them, they had four wives. Abraham was married to Sarah. Isaac was married to Rebekah. And Jacob, I have to look at my notes to make sure I get these words right. Jacob was, looking at, uh, was uh, married to Rachel and Leah. So he had two wives, Rachel and Leah. Those four women, Sarah, Rebekah, Rachel, and Leah, were known as the matriarchs of the faith. If, if you're going to put any woman in a genealogy in this time, you would expect those four women to be in the genealogy but they're not. They're not in the genealogy. Instead, who do we have? There's a list on the screen. We have Tamar in verse 3. We have Rahab in verse 5. Ruth in verse 5. Uriah's wife in verse 6. And then finally Mary in verse 16. Who is Tamar? Who is Tamar? Well, Tamar is a non-Israelite. She is not of the nation or tribe of Israel. And the story, if you remember, the story of Tamar is that she was married to a man. Uh, her, her husband died. And her father-in-law is Judah, like from the 12 tribes of Judah, like the lion of Judah. That's her father-in-law. Um, and her father-in-law is Judah. And at the time, he was supposed to supply another son if the first son died. And you were supposed to supply another son to take care of the widow and, and things like that. He didn't. So what happens is years later, she actually dresses up as a prostitute and seduces her own father-in-law in order to carry on the, the, the name of them. I mean, this is not a PG-rated story. That's Tamar. Next, we have Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab's a prostitute. She's a, a sex worker. And she's a Canaanite. She is not an Israelite. 
Next, you have Ruth. Ruth is like an amazing woman of God. We have a book written about her, but if you read the book of Ruth, what do they keep saying? Who do they keep saying Ruth is over and over again? Ruth the Moabite, the Moabite, the Moabite, the Moabite. Why do they keep saying Ruth is a Moabite? If you remember, the Moabites were descendants of Lot's daughters. What happened in that story? Lot, his wife, and his two daughters are leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife turns around. She becomes a pillar of salt. And what happens that night is that the two daughters look at each other and they say, we are not going to survive if we don't have any sons. We need to get our dad drunk, sleep with him, and carry on the line. From them come the Moabites. The Jews and the Gentiles hated Moabites. Hated Moabites. Ruth was a Moabite. Next we have... Uriah's wife doesn't even get her own name put in there. Depending on how you read the story, David either was seduced or David seduced Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and to cover up for the sin, because she became pregnant, to cover up for the sin, he ended up getting Uriah murdered. So we have uh, adultery and, and murder in this story. And this is Bathsheba, who her next son was Solomon, the king of Israel. And then finally you get Mary, a teenage girl who gets pregnant and has to try to convince her friends and family that she did not sleep with another man. In a world where women weren't even uh, uh, used as witnesses in court. That's how little they viewed women. What Matthew wants to communicate is that you don't have to be a certain ethnicity to be used by Jesus. You don't have to be a certain gender to be used by Jesus. You don't have to have a certain job. You don't have to have a squeaky clean past or resume to be used by Jesus. There was an ancient prayer in Judaism where every day, three times a day, the Jewish men would pray this, God, thank you for not making me a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a woman. Thank you for not making me a slave. This is a real prayer by Jewish men. They they prayed three times a day. What does Matthew say? Matthew, who's communicating primarily to a Jewish audience, says that the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Son of David who will reign forever, and the Son of Abraham who's going to bless all the nation, comes from a line of Gentiles, women, and slaves. If you think you're not good enough for God to use you, think again. If you think there's something in your past, you say, I, that, God can't use me. This is saying otherwise. It's so easy to believe the lie of the enemy. Well, if only they knew this about you. I might be able to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to do anything big for Jesus because I'm just, I'm not good enough. I often hear the lies of the enemy instilling, instilling fear and shame. You're not good enough to be a pastor. Now, what I'm not saying is, is, is the sin justified? No, sin is not justified. Sin is, sin is evil. But I am justified in and through Christ. And in and through Christ, you are justified. And in and through Christ, these people, not just the women, look at the story of Abraham. I mean, everybody in this genealogy has a past. Everybody in this genealogy has stumbled, has fallen, has gotten back up. Ahaz was a terrible king. He did what was evil in the, side, in the eyes of the Lord, and yet he is in the line of the king of Israel, the king of the world, Jesus the Christ. If you think you are not good enough for Jesus to use you, this genealogy is screaming at you. 
God can use you for his purposes. God can use you for his purposes. If nothing else, all the names in the genealogy proclaim the goodness and the graciousness of our Lord, who again is making all things new. He's making a new beginning, a new creation. That's why there's five women in this genealogy. Next, we're going to look at the 14 generations. Uh, let's, let's go down to verse 17, and I'm going to read this again just so that we, uh, we can get refreshed. Verse 17 says this, So all the generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to exile, uh, exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. Now, have you, this has happened to me a few times. Sometimes I'll be reading the Bible and I read a verse like this and I'm like, I feel like that's important. Like it seems important, but I don't know. Has that been your guys' experience before? Like you're like, I feel like that's important. Why does he keep repeating 14 generations? I don't know why it's important. Um, there are at least, at least three reasons that this verse is very important. We are gonna get to two of them today. One of them will be on the podcast later this week. We'll do a little extra bit, but I figured I was running out of time, and we are, so we're just gonna look at two reasons why these 14 generations are important. First, the first reason why Matthew keeps reiterating 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, is this idea of the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. In um, Leviticus, in the Old Testament, um, there was this year of Jubilee that happened every seventh seven. So basically, every six days, every week, you have seven days, right? You work for six days, you rest on the seventh. That's the Sabbath. Excuse me. That's why our small groups are actually starting to practice Sabbath and in small groups to, to kind of get into the rhythm of work for six days, Sabbath on the seventh. Well, every seven years, they took a year off. They're an agrarian society, and so they farmed a lot. So they would farm for six years, and then they would let the, re the land rest on the seventh year. So the sixth year, they would double up on their produce. I don't know. And then the seventh year, they would let the land rest, and they were not allowed to do that. Well, every seven times seventh year, so every seventh seven, was what they called the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, Basically, what would happen is the 50th, 49th or 50th year, what would happen is if you were a slave, you were freed. No, no strings attached. If you had any debt, all that debt was forgiven. Some of you are like, can we have a year of Jubilee? Like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> all that debt was forgiven. If you had no land, all the land was uh, received, if you, uh, if you had, no, had land, but then, you know, you got in debt, and so you had to sell the land and then sell yourself into slavery to pay off the land. If you had land, but then lost land, all that land would be yours again. It was literally like a giant reset. People would long for the year of Jubilee. Now, that was the intention. It didn't always work out that way. Obviously, people manipulated and took advantage of, but that was the idea. The year of Jubilee was that if you were a slave, you were freed. If you had debt, it was paid off, and if you had no inheritance or no land, you would then get inherit inheritance and land. Let's go back to Matthew. There are three sets of 14 generations, right? 14 generations. One, 14 generations. Two, 14 generations. Three. How many sevens, little math for you, how many sevens are in three sets of 14? Six, right? There's two sevens and 14. Two times three is six. Who is bringing about the seventh seven in this generation? 
Jesus. Jesus is the seventh seven. Jesus is the start of what? The year of Jubilee. If you are a slave, you're freed. If you are in debt, you're forgiven. If you have no inheritance, nothing to your name, you now have the inheritance of the Lord of the universe. And this isn't just like some, you know, uh, like conspiracy theory that I was whipping up. I mean, like this is like all scholars, all commentaries, they're like, this is the year of, Jesus is bringing about the year of Jubilee, where if you are a slave to your sin, in Christ you are now free. If you have debt because of your sin, like, 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 and you have this, this, this weight on you because of, because of your, your state, and your be- you are now set free from that. You are now forgiven all of your debt and your trespasses. And if you have nothing to you, if you feel like you have nothing to your name or to yourself, Jesus is saying, when you are in me, you're mine. You're my child. You have an inheritance. Another reason why this verse is important is because if you actually count up the names uh, in all the generations, from Abraham to David is 14. From David to the uh, exile to Babylon is 14. If you count, the exile to Babylon to Jesus is actually only 13. Now, did Matthew make a mistake? No, he's much smarter than you and I. Why are there only 13 names in the third set of 14? Well, let's look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. Jacob fathered Joseph And remember the cadence of so-and-so fathering so-and-so. You expect it to say Joseph fathered Jesus, right? But instead it says Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The question that Matthew is asking is, who is the 14th father? Who is Jesus' father? It doesn't say Jesus has a father in this genealogy. There's only 13 names here. There's a huge hole in this genealogy. Matthew wants us to to lean in and say, who's Jesus' father? Who's the father of Jesus? And what's the next story about? It's about Joseph adopting Jesus as an adopted son, but it's about God being Jesus' father. Mary became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Final title, the Son of God. Now, there's a few, there's a lot there, but I I think there's a few takeaways that I've been encouraged by. The first, as we mentioned, if you feel lost, worthless, not good enough, this genealogy is inviting you to believe that God can use your story. Jesus can use your story to accomplish his purposes. Does it have to be, you know, do you, are you a Joseph in this story? I don't know, are you a Mary, are you a, a Judah, are you a whatever? Like it doesn't have to be a certain way. God wants to use you and your gifts. He has created you and he loves you and he longs for you to live life in abundance to live life to the full, not to just go through life and settle and all this stuff. Like God wants something for you and oftentimes we believe the lies of the enemy and we feel this pressure and we say, God can't use me in X, Y, Z fashion because I'm not this, because my past is this, because this. You are a new creation in Christ. 
If you, don't, if you think you're not good enough for God to use you, this genealogy is inviting you to consider, think again. And then secondly, as I was reflecting on this too, there's this beautiful picture of God's sovereignty in this genealogy. Put yourself in any one of these characters' shoes. Life is falling apart for the majority of these people in this genealogy. Let's just think about Mary and Joseph for a second, which we're gonna, Tom's gonna talk about this, the nativity of the Messiah next week, but let's just think about them. Joseph's engaged, his fiance gets pregnant, and, and then they end up leaving and they have to flee, and Joseph sees an angel. I mean, this is just, everything's out of control. This is not how I planned it. Yeah, this genealogy is inviting us to look and behold the sovereignty of God. Have you ever felt like your life is falling apart? You ever felt like you've made a mistake so bad that everything is gonna fall apart? So did every single one of these people. Go back and put yourself in any one of their shoes and look at how God redeems God redeems his people. God has a purpose for you right here, right now. God loves you. He wants to use you. And this genealogy, a list of names, is inviting us to look at Jesus, who is making a new creation in and through us and through his spirit who's the rightful heir to the throne, who's the long-awaited Messiah, who's the son of Abraham. He's gonna bring a blessing to all nations, bringing the year of Jubilee. And that's what we have to celebrate. Now, that's a lot of theology before we even get to, we, we haven't even been introduced to Jesus yet. He hasn't been born. The next story is about Jesus' birth. But that's what Matthew is gonna be. It's just gonna be looking at Jesus over and over and over again and looking at ourselves over and over and over again. So as we uh, wrap up this section, what I want to do is I want to st- I, I fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry. Right? This is the beginning. This is the start. Um, this is the, 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 the book of, of Genesis of, of Jesus. But I want to fast forward. How did Jesus end? Uh, through, through this whole genealogy, it's clear that God is with his people. And Jesus now, it says later, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now how does Jesus end? In Matthew, he ends by telling his disciples, Go, I am with you always to the end of the age. Before that, he sat down with his disciples and he took bread and he took the cup and he celebrated his death and his communion. So right now, I want to I wanna pray and after we're done praying, we're going to invite you guys to participate in communion and remember that that's just a tangible reality of God's presence with us. God is with us in this room right here, right now. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you, we, Jesus, we thank you that you're the rightful heir to the throne, that you want to bless all of those who find their refuge in you. Father, we are thankful that you are with us. God, we thank you that you are, you are the, the father of the son of God. And Lord, right now, I pray that your spirit would um, remind us of what you bring us. God, it's in you that we have a year of jubilee. And as I'm sure, it never, it it rarely feels like that to all of us in this room. I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, you would comfort us and you would remind us. 
that you're with us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we thank you for all of these things. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.